All right, all right, all right. <clears throat> Let's get fired up here. In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. Happy Easter, everybody. This is episode 70 of the podcast, and the show notes can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 70. And we're going to talk about The Last Supper. Uh, that's really the only relation to the Easter holidays, the, the title of this thing. Um, and it's, uh, it's a movie from, I think, 1995. I watched it way back when, when I was a left-leaning liberal. And uh, I think we're going to have an interesting discussion on this one today. So let's say hello to Robert. How are you doing, sir? Hi, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast. I'm doing great. Ready to talk about this reverential holy movie. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And part of me kind of wishes that we were talking about Tommy Boy. And I think eventually we, we will get to that one because it has some good economics in it. But the reason I bring this up is particularly today because my daughter smashed her face into the couch horsing around. And I don't know if people are aware of this, but couches are generally built out of wood and then that's covered with some fabric. And then when you don't have the cushions on, there's just a very thin layer of fabric and material in between you and the wood. So if you're horsing around like a four and a half year old does uh, and you smash your face into it, um, you're going to have a line right across your forehead that is going to turn to a bruise tomorrow. And I just, I asked her after this happened, I was like, so does it hurt up here or down here or not so much right here, but just right, right in here, like in Tommy Boy when he gets hit with a two by four? I think this show is just you mining your childhood for movie ideas. So <laughs> my child's life, my child's uh, childhood, yes. Sweet. No, Tommy Boy is, is decent. It's a good classic comedy. I don't remember a whole lot of economics other than that they're salesmen trying to sell car parts, trying to save their company. But. Yeah, that's all economics, man. You want to you guarantee on the box, guarantee piece of shit in there. <laughs> and so you put Tommy in charge of trying to save the company, the kid that went to school for eight years. To get a degree. They're called doctors. See, there's so they much are. to talk about in that one. Well, I feel that that'll just be another quote mind episode. Yeah, just like our last two, I think, Lebowski and um, Billy Madison. Yeah. I think those are both pretty fun. But if I you're, have a good time. Oh, that's good. That's good. I think, I think we're going to change gears a little bit on this one. So if you're ready, let's do the, um, the Last Nighters portion. Okay, we'll do it one more time. Hey, hello, everyone. This is The Last Nighters, and we're going to be talking about The Last Supper. The Last Nighters on The Last Supper. Last Supper on The Last Nighters. This is episode 13. can be found at lastnighters.com slash 13. And I am Daniel, and my co-host is Robert. How you hey, doing? Hey, everybody. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. What's up? How you doing? So we're going to talk about The Last Supper, and here's the Google information. came out in 1995, drama, parody film, hour and a half, plus four minutes. 6.8 on the IMDb, 63% Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars and had a very interesting review, which I do want to talk with you about a little bit. And 84% of Google users like it. And here's the description. Stranded student Pete, played by Ron Eldard, 
gets a lift from racist trucker Zach and repays the favor by inviting him in for dinner with his roommates, Jude, Luke, Mark, and Polly, played by Cameron Diaz, Courtney Vance, Jonathan Penner, and Annabeth Gish. Uh, when Zach praises Hitler and pulls a knife at the table, the roommates kill him, rationalizing their actions as a favor to humanity. They bury Zach in the yard and begin to invite other offensive types to a string of similarly murderous meals. Came out April 5th, 1996. 1996, 1996. Uh, that's when I graduated from the old hike school. Uh, don't you ever say that. Don't you ever say that. Uh, director Stacy Title, box office about a half a million dollars, but I think that uh, this was one of those like minor movies, like, I don't know, movie house kind of things, or uh, what would you call that? Like limited release kind of deals, like Sundance or something like that? Yeah, it's kind of art housey, but maybe a little more mainstream than art house. I don't know exactly what you'd call it. I think it's interesting that they call it drama parody. I don't know what it's a parody of. Yeah, well, I think it, uh, you know, that's the Google. That's a good movie. <laughs> Robert, playing his card early here. <laughs> well, what do you think of the description so far? Oh, yeah, it's accurate. Fairly detailed description. That's exactly the entire damn movie. I mean, I would have written it a little bit different. I would have written, what if Antifa invited people over for dinner? But at least these guys want to have a conversation because generally if it's Antifa, the bike lock would be the hors d'oeuvre. I don't know. Something like that. Except they straight straight murder you if they even don't like like your opinion on one thing. Yes, yes. And it didn't seem like they were all that keen on actually giving them too much of an opportunity. It seemed like they slid very quickly into as soon as they said the wrong thing, it's game over. Yeah. Yeah, they really got comfortable with murder really quickly and seemed to revel in it and really kind of ex post facto justified their, you know, kind of like passed themselves off as heroes and like, you know, what they had done was really not even that horrible. I mean, it was, could be argued that the first kill was in self-defense. I mean, the guy was kind of just making a point, but he was doing it in a very threatening way. But then they very quickly kind of justified any kind of, instead of just saying, well, it was self-defense and... They went on to, like, lionize themselves as heroes. And every time that they wanted to kill somebody, man, they're saving the world from a lot of Hitlers, apparently. Yeah, everyone's so, Hitler. So many Hitlers. Yeah. This movie and I know very... the left thinks everybody that disagrees with them is literally Hitler, but that's what this movie is. Where So I guess in that way it's fairly accurate. Yeah, it's, it's very prescient because this is well before social media, and now the, the name Hitler or being called a Nazi is like, on the menu, right? It's everyone's a Nazi. Everyone's Hitler. Trump is literally Hitler, but give him all the guns. So logically consistent and thinking these people are not, uh, you know, these, these angry feminists. And I say that as if there is some other kind quote from the movie, uh, by, uh, the great Ron Perlman. I think he steals every scene in, in this, uh, movie, um, especially just in his little TV interludes. And then at the end, of course, when he stumps them, when they try to kill him, but I did yeah, not ask even you, after that, they were even well. Well, the the main guy, I forget his name. I forget all their names. So I'm just gonna say the black dude. But he, even he, was like, "No, man, he's playing you. He's playing us. It's a re rehearsed act. He's just an ice man." Because he was just so in, invested in you know their murder plot that they were just such heroes. Anyway, it was all super disgusting. It was an interesting kind of character study, but I wouldn't call this like a real like movie with like characters that you care about. I, anyway, I don't want to derail you, Daniel. We'll get into that later. What do, what do you want to say? Well, I, I wanted to point out just a couple of things from early on. So they are playing um, the, the Ron Perlman's show on the TV, and they're like, oh, I'm so sick of hearing this guy. I want to turn it off. Or, no, I want to keep watching. And somebody says, well, it's my TV, so we're turning it off. And I was like, property rights, baby, right there. <laughs> yeah, and I was I was kind of like going, oh, well, they believe in property rights, huh? That's weird. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. Uh, so let's talk about the very first kill because you you kind of opened that you thought it was kind of self defense, and I'm just curious if we could talk through it a little bit because I found it a little bit ambiguous. Oh, uh, it's definitely ambiguous. Further, I didn't particularly, and I want to be delicate here, but I didn't particularly find him to be overly offensive. I felt like the grad students were being mean to him, rude to him, trying to goad him, trying to like upset him in some way, and, and they were trying to push buttons. You know? Here's what I here's what I wrote. Bill Paxton is right more than he's wrong. He's wrong with the wars and the racism, but he's right about the grad student protesters. Right, yeah. And he essentially gives them the idea. It's like you guys don't ever fucking do anything. All you do is, you know, buy animal, animal free, cruel, cruelty free, whatever, or protest. Um, but you don't actually take action and get anything done. And right. 
it essentially gives them the idea that, well, it plants a seed, right? And oddly right. enough, you know, that gardening is the other half of the movie. But the thing I found interesting is he wasn't even allowed to say what he was thought Hitler had the great the right idea on because then they they drove it into um, the one guy was Jewish and they be, that became the issue right right so you and, could say well I agree with Hitler on this one thing and then everybody gets upset and goes you agree about something Hitler said and you know not everybody is a full-time monster I just want to say this you probably I bet you everybody you know on the planet all agrees that chocolate is tasty or whatever. I mean, you could agree with Hitler because he both like chocolate or something. I mean, he, you're right. He didn't get an example or a chance to explain what it was, and then it quickly became about Jews and whatever. Yeah, and I think that's, of course, by design. You know, they didn't want to, like, let on what it was. But I could surmise from the guy, like you were saying, you know, he's right uh, more than he's wrong, but he's wrong on a couple of things. And, and one of them was, like, patriotism and the rah-rah. And I think that he would have fit right in as being a, um, a Make America Great Again, like, kind of current-day Trump, Trump Definitely. Republican. Definitely. You put this guy in a MAGA hat, and, yeah, it's he could make this movie today. Yeah, and I think what his, you know, playing alternate universe here, I think maybe he was going to say that economically Hitler took charge and got them out of uh, their post-Versailles depression type stuff. So I think he would have praised his economics and getting Germany back to work, which is the same thing Time did, making a man of the year. You know, people were looking up to him in the lead up to World War II. They sure were. Praising it. So I think that's perhaps where he was going with it. And then when it comes to the Holocaust thing, um, I think he has sort of a point in that why is it the only genocide that really ever gets talked about? And I think Amenajad asked the same question, and he got labeled an anti-Semite um, Holocaust denier, right? And that's like almost like the climate change thing, like mm -hmm. science denier kind of deal. And I think that while it is a delicate thing to even mention, um, I think that there are some things about it that are interesting. Like, why don't we hear about other ones? Why is this one the one that is always brought up? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And I know what, I guess a lot of people that are high up in the Jewish communities are touchy about it because they have felt that the entirety of Jewish history has been one of essentially persecution. But if we can't even talk about these things, if we can't even question them without having people jump down your throat and assume you're the worst person in the world, then you've already lost. You've lost any kind of hope for any kind of rational discourse. You're just going to push unpopular ideas underground. You're not going to satisfy anyone's curiosity. It's just going to lead to bad things. Yeah, and if it's a rational question, it deserves a rational response, right? And this dives right into my next point um, in that because they have a history, that the, their peoples have been persecuted in history, and it's like well-recorded or well-known, um, that they have... Um, perhaps like a, uh, a chip on their shoulder that other cultures might not, so that when it's brought up, it's a little bit more, um, more of an issue, like it's more contentious. And that brings me right into the, um, the black character who was going right at the Cat Paxton character with, um, I just want to be master. Oh, didn't you know I'm a professional basketball player? He's a basically saying to him, he's goading him into reacting. He's basically calling him a racist without saying it. Yep. Sure was. To try to get a reaction. And that really pissed me off. Yeah, I mean, that, guy, that guy's a dick the whole movie. Yeah, and it wasn't until after that, he, then he started like, giving it back to him. And I don't know if he, you know, he said something about, if we'd know, known you would have been in so much trouble, we would have just picked the damn cotton ourselves. I don't think he makes that statement unless, um, unless it's, he's already been dished all this shit. You know what I mean? Right. No, it, it definitely escalates. And yeah, if you're, you're, I mean, first of all, you're invited into this people's home and you're served a meal. You're generally going to be fairly respectful, generally. So, yeah, I mean, these people, I mean, we don't get a, all we get is the start of this argument. We don't get the start of any of the other people saying what they say. So we don't know the lead up to any of the other reasons that they kill people. But yeah, if they're all similar, these people are all goaded into saying like the most fringe thing they believe. And then they're like, ha ha, gotcha, bitch, kill him. Then yeah, it's all just like one big setup. Because I can't really see, you know, it's the first time you're in somebody's home. And yeah, they claim to say, oh, we invite people over to have interesting conversations. Still, I don't see you're just going to go, yeah, I think we, are, we should gas all the juice. It just doesn't just come out of the blue. And yeah, we're not given um, the lead up 
to any of the other kills. So if they're all like the first one, then how these people lie to themselves and think that they're doing this great thing by killing all these Hitlers, it's, uh, that's where the movie really falls down for me. I mean, this, this part, this, I mean, okay, essentially the movie is like a kind of a trying to be a character study, like, hey, what if kind of scenario, this is an interesting idea, not really a movie. But I need, okay, we're talking about Robert here, but I think most people would agree with this. I need to be able to identify with the protagonist or the protagonists in this situation. In this movie, the protagonists are the people murdering people whose ideas they disagree with. I didn't find a single character in this movie likable. I hated every single one of them, even the ones that were pushing back a little bit against the gung-ho one. I mean, a couple of the girls were like, oh, I don't want any part of this. Oh, you're just a murderer, blah, blah, blah. I'm not even going to you know, listen to this. I'm not going to be a party to this. You guys are crazy. But then they get on board eventually. And I'm sorry. If I got a bunch of friends who want to murder people they disagree with in a dinner party, I'm out. Or I'm stopping you. I, I thought all, every single character in this movie was a piece of shit. And uh, if I can't emotionally connect with anybody in the movie, then I'm just like, well, what, who cares what happens? Uh, the only thing that kept my interest was what stupid thing will these idiots kill another human being for next? That's the only thing that kept me sticking around. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I want to just segue back to, to my original point about uh, the chip on the shoulder thing, and, and the guy's name is Luke. Um, I think that he was using the, um, the victim, not the mentality, but like the you're told your whole life that historically you've been oppressed and repressed and um, everyone's against you. And so he, Luke, was the ringleader in this because he wanted to get one over on um, who he thought were the evil people that were perpetuating this uh, system of racial and uh, oppressive behavior. And so he was the most gung-ho about it. But I don't think that that happens if he's not told his whole life, hey, the reason that you're not getting as far ahead as others is because of your skin or something like that. You know what I mean? Like if you're told repeatedly, like, hey, you're being treated worse and these are the people doing it to you. Yeah, you're not going to like those people very much, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There. At one point during the movie, they talked about, you know, what if you could, you know, kill, you know, all these conservatives early before they go on to do horrible things? And the only reason the world's not a great place is because people like us aren't in charge. Yeah, exactly. And, dude, right when that happened, I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, central planners, socialist central oh, yeah. planners, thinking that they've got all the solutions. They're the technocrats and they've got the intellectual capacity and scientific knowledge to figure it all out. And those are the worst atrocities that happen. Yeah, those are the worst is when you got some idea of world of how to make a world better. I mean, what do you think Hitler did? He was a central planner who wanted to make the world a better place. That's what he was trying to do. That's what Stalin did. That's what Mao did. That's what Pol Pot did. Ceausescu. All these people. At least it was always sold as they were trying to make the world a better place for their people. They were trying to get rid of the Jews and the gypsies and the homosexuals and the mentally deficient and make a thousand-year Reich for their people. And man, the world's going to be a better place. So how are these people any different than that, with that same mentality? They have the same mentality as the people they're vilifying. I mean, they're vilifying them rightfully so, but that the fact that they can't see it in their own actions until the very end of the movie, and not even at the very end of the movie. At the very end of the movie, when Ron Perlman basically spells it out, oh yeah, you should have just, you know, tried to talk to him. Yeah, they're yeah. they're kind of like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. You intellectuals. <laughs> Yeah. Is that what you're supposed to be good at? Right. Yeah. So and let me talk just real quick about how um, this movie, this kind of movie plays off of, um, you know, in Game of Thrones with uh, the Red Wedding. This essentially violates guest right. Well, that movie or that story was brought out from history. So back in Scotland, I think in the 15 or 1600s, whatever it was, there's a thing called the Black Dinner. And it was the reverse of this where the guests actually killed the host. But they were like soldiers who were staying with some guests for like a week before they finally killed them at the end of the week. But this is just like a similar situation where you're violating essentially guest right. So that's even more atrocious that you would invite somebody into your home under the auspices of having a nice meal and conversation. And then you would turn around and murder them. I mean, it's so deceptive. And then they even, they even come to this disgusting thing where they're like, oh, but what if, we, what if we act horrified when they're choking and dying to death? So then their last thoughts aren't terrible. <laughs> these, these six psychopaths. And these are our protagonists. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, 
I wanted to bring up, um, and I still want to get back to the self-defense thing because they do stab him in the back. Yes. And, yes. you know, that's super questionable. But uh, one of the lines they bring up is they're not people. They're people that hate. So not only are they dehumanizing them, but they're, like, breaking their own argument in the very next sentence. They're not people. They're people that hate. So they are people. <laughs> so they are people. And guess what? The protagonists in this movie are also people who hate. They are intolerant. They hate people with different ideas. It's not like, okay, and every one of these people, except for the Bill Paxton character who apparently had killed a little girl, but they didn't know that at the time. But everybody else, if you're going to commit a crime, you need the idea and you need the ability to carry it out. Is their argument, these protagonists, seriously, that these people were going to have the ability to carry out you know, these things which they agreed with that were so terrible or advocated or whatever. Like at one point, the, um, the pastor who's like, well, I'm going to let, I'm going to buy an island. Wasn't it something like this? He's like, going to buy an island and he was going to put all the homosexuals on this island. In what reality or universe is this old pastor guy going to get the resources and the military power to round up all the homosexuals and deport them to an island? What fantasy land does this exactly take place in? So they couldn't be really worried that this was actually going to occur. All they were doing was killing people whom they disagreed with. Not that they were actually worried that they were ever really going to do anything. So their entire bullshit ex post facto justification was just complete horseshit. Yeah, I'll give you that. And and most of it was just they had a different opinion. And honestly, many of the people that were the um, quote-unquote conservative evil people, I found some merit in some of their arguments. Like the Mark Harmon character was simply saying that not every claim of rape is a legitimate rape. And we've seen that with the Duke lacrosse thing. And, um, you know, even the mere accusation is enough to ruin somebody's career or, um, you know, a whole bunch of other issues. And I'm not apologizing for the situation, but I just think that it should be um, an accusation should carry some weight if it is a false accusation, like as a repercussion against the person who makes the accusation. I would agree with that. Sure. Yeah, you are absolutely ruining a person's character by saying that. And I mean, whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty it seems to have been thrown out the window. Yeah, and I want to be careful to draw a, a line here because I'm not sure how like uh, totally consistent that is. But, um, you know, because libel is, is kind of a thing, but your someone's opinion of you, you don't own that. So that's no, there's no property right in that. But True. to essentially have a, um, a monopoly justice provider um, be directed at you, weaponized at you, um, for a false accusation, I would, I would amount that to almost an attempted murder. Well, yeah, not only that, but yeah, you're, you are forced to defend yourself against, you know, a false accusation, right? So someone's just making it up out of whole cloth or they don't like you or for, they rejected your advances or for whatever reason. And especially in this monopoly service provider, like you mentioned, it's incredibly expensive to defend yourself, which is essentially accounts to theft, a huge expense, could ruin you. Anyway, um, do you have more to say about that? Because then they also try to kill a high school girl who just has a different opinion on a book. Yeah, that one was interesting because she just doesn't like that book. She didn't like Catcher in the Rye. So <laughs> they're going to murder her? <laughs> and then, okay, can I, can I go into a little bit of a rant about the reality of this world? Go for it. Okay, so in the beginning, they say that they are killing one person a week. They invite one person over per week to have this dinner. They end up killing like 10 people. So 10 weeks go by. Is nobody telling anybody where they're going for dinner? Nobody misses these people? This movie isn't taking place like on a stage. It takes place in a house where they go out and show events in the town. Like they show the sheriff and like it takes place in a world. So we're given like a real world scenario. And the whole time I'm going, does nobody miss these people? Why aren't there cops showing up the next day? Hey, this person was last seen going to this house for dinner. Did you see him? What happened? Where did he, did he leave? And then it happens again and again and again. And eventually your excuses of, oh, yeah, he left, but he was kind of drunk. Who knows? Maybe he got away crashed somewhere. I don't know. Eventually those excuses wear thin. And yeah, so that that just that was another thing that bugged me. Yeah, and I think they try to cover that with the first one. They're like, oh, you know, he 
travels cross country and no one's really going to miss him, that kind of a thing. And let's go stash his truck, you know, miles away from here. But you're right. Yeah, when but it, that's it. Yeah. When it gets into everyone else, they're all like local within the community, as far as I'm aware. And yeah, you're right. I mean, but again, you are dealing with a monopoly justice provider who doesn't have any real incentive to provide quality service. So maybe you get by a little bit, <laughs> but not ten. Well, well, we get, at the very end of the movie, we get a newspaper that says, you know, 10 people missing or whatever. But really, after two and a half months, you get one newspaper article. I mean, if, if my loved one or even a rando family member that even I don't even really like too much all of a sudden disappeared, I'd go, where was he last going? Who, where, who did he last see? Who did he last talk to? What was he doing? Oh, he was having dinner with some people that he'd never knew before. Well, I'm going to go talk to them. So that just, I mean, I know you're supposed to suspend disbelief for a movie. And I think you can, if you like this kind of movie, you can enjoy it. But for me, this stuck in my craw. (laughs) Maybe because I didn't like the movie anyway. And then I really, I was looking for reasons to hate it. Because I understand you really, it's a character study. And you just want to be able to show the descent of these characters going farther and farther and how easy it is to solve your problems with violence and murder. So from that aspect, I think you can still enjoy it. But for me, it was just, it was bugging me. Yeah. And, and that's to allegedly solve their problems because they weren't actually making the world a better place. They were making it far worse uh, by committing a bunch of murders. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the George Costanza character who said he's not anti-Earth. He's just pro-human. And it's, it's funny because they, they murdered him as a result of this, but environmentalists, at their core, if you take it to their logical conclusion, they are virulently, virulently anti-human. When, if, if, an, if an environmentalist has to make a decision between a human and the environment, they'll, they'll pick the environment. So, yeah. I mean, it, ideally, I think they want them both to cohabitate in harmony. But if, if they're given the choice where there's like a polluter or someone kind of like damaging the environment, they're like, fuck that guy. Even if that person is just trying to like feed their family and shit. Well, yeah, and you see it with the people who push the um, climate change idea and that government is the solution to that. And so they want to raise the price of pollution and of polluting um, like fossil fuels and things like that. Meanwhile, you know, billions of people living on the margins of, of life just scraping by at the current level of pricing for these inputs to create energy, to provide heat and food and other such things. Um, If you artificially interfere with that and raise the price of those things or outlaw them altogether, you are going to kill millions of people. I mean, they talk about Hitler in this. I mean, you're literally Hitler (laughs) (laughs) when it comes down to it. So I don't know. I just, uh, I find it very interesting. All of these all these issues. Now, you, you mentioned, um, if, if we can shift topic a little bit, uh, character studies. I found that the characters were not consistent um, in how I would have expected them to develop. Like at first, um, the Annabeth Gish character, she's like against this thing. But then when she's on board, she's like way on board. Like she's pushing for it more so than, than some of the other ones, right? Like her boyfriend is the one who first stabbed Zach in the back. And he was like kind of justifying it in a way because he didn't want to go to jail and he's like oh you know we're actually doing some good but then it starts to eat at eat away at him and then their relationship starts to split up because of that because he's having all these second thoughts and this guilt meanwhile she's like super like bloodlust you know and i couldn't figure out the cameron diaz because she was back and forth like she was for it and then she was kind of against it and she's the one who ended up saving that um, high school girl walking her out right and the um, the nerdy dude who gets his arm broken, like he gets like super into it, and uh, he goes out shooting skeet, and then he shoots a pheasant, and he's like, "Get some, yeah," you know, like like he's a fucking tough guy now. Yeah, yeah. This is really. I mean, I think I think they were getting off on it. They were getting off on having the power of life and death in their hands. And um, I don't know, man. I, I I think it's I think it was fairly accurate in a lot of senses. Um, although I think the movie kind of kind of went for comedy almost i mean i didn't laugh at any point in the movie but there were times when they were killing off people like during the kind of that montage sort of thing where it's just one person after another where they were just like gleefully giving them like the juice and like everybody was looking at them like expectantly and like smiling and laughing and just having a grand old time just isn't murder fun boys and girls look at this person there was never i think you know there was never really a moment where the very end where any of the characters really said anything that they agreed with which would have been a little more interesting if you know they said a bunch of weird things you know things they didn't agree with and they're like oh we're gonna kill this guy 
Then he said something that they agree with, like some sort of lefty type thing, and then went back, you know, and so they had, if there was any kind of like conflict, because you're right, they did have the conflict, but it seemed kind of out of place. Like, I'm not really sure why you're wishy-washy back and forth on this. If they had actually had reasons to be that way, I think it would have been more effective. Yeah, I think perhaps they ran out of time because this, this movie already felt like it ran long. Yeah, it was only an hour and a half, but it was long. Yeah, it just kind of drags on. And, and here's another weird thing about it is it's set up like this dark comedy, like you were saying, but then there's this little bit of a backstory of the sheriff investigating them, and the missing girl and all this stuff. And like three quarters of the way through the movie, that just ends because she hops the fence and steals a tomato. So she conducts an illegal search, is trespassing, and steals. Um, and then uh, Luke just whacks her with a shovel and kills her. But that just ends like that whole arc right there. And I thought that was kind of weird. It was, um, I don't know if that was perhaps an intentional thing to like shock a little bit, but uh, I don't know if I was a big fan of that. It, it felt out of place. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, was it a satisfactory conclusion to that? Uh, probably not. But I wasn't satisfied by really anything in this movie, so I really can't say. Um, it wasn't like the movie was going along great for me, and then this thing seemed out of place in such a wonderful movie. I thought it was all pretty much a crap fest. Um, not that I don't think that there are nuggets of things to be gleaned from this. Um, I just didn't think it worked too well as an actual movie movie. But as a, as a discussion piece, I think it, it's, it's really good. Um, I think it's a perfect episode for us. But... Um, uh, as far as a satisfying conclusion to that story, yeah, it was rather abrupt. But I thought the the whole movie ended abruptly. Like, the Ron Perlman character comes in and then kills them all? Or does he? Yes, he does. Or does he? I don't know. And then he goes on to be a, a, a presidential candidate. So he was telling them a lie. So they were doing a good thing. Or weren't they? I mean, I kind of like ambiguous endings, but uh, maybe in a better movie, I would have liked it more. I don't know. What did you think of the ending? Uh, I, I do agree. It, it was abrupt and that the Ron Perlman, I mean, yeah, they, they pepper him in throughout the movie a little bit in the TV appearances, and then he's like the big fish, right? He's the literally Hitler guy that yeah. they want to get, and they just know right away that, that they're going to kill him. But, you know, at the same time, um, when they invited, like, a neo-Nazi to the table, they didn't even um, wait for for dinner, right? That was, like, one of the comments they made, like, yeah, wh why waste the food, you know? Because um, they already knew they were going to kill him. And I would have thought that they would have already known they were going to kill this guy. So that didn't seem right. super consistent as far as what they were doing. But um, it was a level of, you know, it took a lower and lower bar of offense to have them be murdered. And they make a comment that the, the food they're serving is, is lesser and lesser quality. Like they're just ordering Chinese food or just pizza or something like that. So I think that they, they let it kind of take over for what they were doing, you know, and they definitely had devolved from actually having any level of conversation or debate with these people and just looking for that reason to kill them. Uh, it's like they had that sentence of death in their pocket already. For sure. Um, let me go off on a little rant here. I'm sure you'll have some things to say about this, but one point Cameron Diaz makes a really telling line. She makes a really telling statement. Um, I think it's, they're reflecting on the um, Bill Paxton kill. And they're saying, you know, we don't really ever do anything. All we don't really, you know, all we do is protest and decide what to buy or something like that. And we buy like vegan or vegetarian or something like that. Do you remember this line where she's talking about how all they do is blah, blah, blah? Right, right. And then not to derail you too much, but then they talk about how it wouldn't be great if the world was run by people like us because we all get along, we don't fight. And then they yeah. started fighting like immediately right there. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so I wanted to make a point that, you know, I think, I think, you know, what transformed me from being a lefty to an anarchist was, you know, learning economics, essentially, and, you know, my own morality ideas, self-ownership, self not, that's not my idea, but you know what I'm saying. So if, if, you know, this whole movie is about these lefties taking power and downplaying their own actual power. Consumer choices, which she poo-poos, and I don't remember the exact quote, but that's what she does. She poo-poos the fact that all they do is make consumer choices, as if that is like nothing. That is huge. How you decide to spend your money molds the world into the image that you want it to be in a voluntary, peaceful way. But they don't realize they're doing that. They think that, if, that since there's so many other people also making consumer choices, it's not, it's not good because you're being like, counteracted by somebody who's making other like, different choices or something like that. But consumer choices are incredibly powerful. You have the, in order to 
in order for a corporation or any kind of a company to you know, rule the world or to dominate a market, they have to provide such an amazing service that everybody wants their product, will voluntarily trade their dollars for their product. They value the product more than they value their dollars. So they have to provide a wonderful service or a product. And you have to appreciate that no matter who you are, for what reason you want it. It could because it's gluten free or because it's GMO free or because it's vegan or whatever. And you put your dollars towards that thing, you vote with your dollars, you are asking the world to be more like that. And there are companies who will want those dollars and they will create more of that product for you to consume and enjoy and therefore making the world more like what you want. And so these powerless lefty things just don't even realize their own power. And it leads to this frustration and this feelings of impotence. And it leads to these people and these characters in this movie to murder people, to overcompensate when they had the power all along. And they never realize it at the end. They never learn that lesson. Yeah, in fact, they stray further from that lesson, just like you were saying. And uh, I, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but when you were talking about comparing them to um, the Maos and the Pol Pots and, and those of those ilk, um, they're just a smaller scale, right? Um, but to, to relay into your point, I think that they're taking what they view as a zero-sum game in the market when it is, in fact, not. It's mutually beneficial trade, and that's the reason why people do trade, and that's why things actually get better. Both parties are satisfied in the ex-ante like they expect to. I mean, people do make wrong decisions. You know, everything is entrepreneurial risk. But on, you know, on net, it's an improvement in most people's situations when they make that trade. And they eschew that and try to get more into the political realm of an actual zero-sum game, you know, where if you vote for the other guy or the other girl or whatever, I don't even know, if, is gender even a thing anymore? Um, but if your person doesn't win, then you're screwed, right? Whereas in the market, it's different strokes for different folks. It's, it's people trying to provide goods and services to you in the hopes that they'll be able to profitably sell it, you know? And, and like you said, if, if you find something you like and you buy it, that is a signal that you want more of it created, more of it brought into this world. And so you're exactly and right. A, and it's a win-win. Everybody wins. We all get wealthier and wealthier. Yeah. All right. So what do you think of um, the sheriff hopping the fence? Because that did upset me. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's, okay, let's talk about any kind of questionable things. We, didn't, we promised to talk about the murder, the first murder, and we haven't really done it yet. Uh, did you think that that was a justifiable self-defense, coming to the defense of another, even though it was a stab in the back? Because he did have what he had a, at that point. Did he have the knife to his throat, and then he also had the arm twisted behind the back? Or was it just the arm twisted behind the back? I don't remember. Yeah, you know, it's hard to remember, but I, I, I know that the threats that he had made initially, and he, he um, put the knife to the, to the one guy's throat and then said he was going to rape the, um, the girl. Right. I could tell that he wasn't being serious, but I can imagine in the situation viewing it far differently. Yeah, well, doesn't he make it? At the very beginning, he's like, calm down, I'm making a point. Didn't he say that? And now, actions speak louder than words. And he very easily could have harmed somebody. But it's also kind of a weird, strange thing to go into somebody's house. And even though you're being insulted, usually a normal person would just leave. But it's another thing to start killing people when you're vastly outnumbered. Now, he obviously didn't find them particularly physically threatening, nor should he. But yeah, um, I don't know. What do you think? Do you, th do you think it was legitimate self-defense or, or no? I want to say no in the totality of the events. I want to say that because the action of defense was not initiated during the ambiguous situation of he's got um, he's threatening the life of, of one of them, not in a serious way, but they don't know that. And he says he's going to rape the woman, but they don't know that's not serious. But that had passed. Right. And then he gets a knife to his throat by the uh, nerd guy. And it's during yeah. that 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 the Paxton character actually does defend himself. But right. he's. And, and it seemed as if it was accidental that he broke his arm, like he slipped or something, like he was like trying to apologize for it, and then he got stabbed in the back. Yeah, I mean, for me watching it, I would say that it was more murder and less self-defense. If I was actually one of those people at the party, I probably would have been more along the lines of self-defense. But altogether, I'm sure there's some, there's some blame on both sides. I mean, somebody pulls out a knife, even if you're trying to make some kind of a point, trying to educate these, these college liberals that, you know, that the world is not all what they think it is or whatever, um, you don't necessarily need to threaten their lives. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say there's fault to go around, but I think I'll lead more towards murder. Um, but I'm not 100% sold either way. I could probably be convinced either way. <laughs> Yeah, and I think they had to shoot it so it was somewhat ambiguous. You know, they had to make it like an accidental arm break and mid-apology stab, you know, yeah. so it, it, 
really wasn't clear what had happened. So, right. yeah, I and like you said, I think had I been there, I would have been like, okay, that was self-defense. But watching it, I'm like, no, they murdered that guy. <laughs> right. And then, yeah, I, I definitely felt, especially in the aftermath of that killing, it seemed like a whole lot of ex post facto justification. Like, even if it was murder, we did a great thing. We're heroes. That sort of talk. Hooray so, for us. Yeah, we're the best. Now, as to the trespass, um, you don't think she had probable cause? It's possible. Um, I think that, I, you know, this is one of those questions where I don't know what it would look like in a private property-based society, what it would look like, what, what, a, what, a, what a law enforcer type person would be able to do exactly. Um, did she, she definitely suspected that they had something to do with something. They thought they were acting suspicious. This is after she goes to the door, right? This is after she interviews the one guy at the police station, and he looks at the Bill Paxton picture a little bit long, and she notices that. And then she goes to the house, and then the three of them are acting weird and funny. And, oh, by the way, they just murdered somebody, stabbed him in the back. And then there's, like, comically trying to get the knife out of the back, and that just did not – that was not funny. I didn't – that just seemed horrific to me. Anyway, um so I, I thought that the, the cop was doing some pretty good police work and that I, if I were her, if I was, you know, some sort of private property cop person investigating murders in the town and I got these people acting really suspicious and then they got some human-sized mounds in their backyard, I would, yeah, I'd probably take a closer look. Now, should she have gotten a warrant? Eh, does that even make it? okay i mean if they all agree if this is a voluntary society and they've all agreed that you know this certain judge type person can issue these warrant type things um i would be happier with it but she's got you know 10 people that have been murdered in her town i I, not to say that that's gonna allow her to violate people's property willy-nilly i think she would definitely need to have probable cause so um if it bugged you, though, let me give me give me your reasons why it bugged you. Well, for me, it didn't seem like it was clear that she had overheard everything that was being said or that there was a reason that she was back there in the first place. And hopping over the fence, I don't think, really accomplishes much other than what was tantamount to an illegal search and trespassing, in my mind. And then she gets caught. And, of course, she can read it on Luke's face, and, and he knows. So Yeah. Now, in his instance, um, it almost is an act of self-defense, right? In a weird way. Because he knows if he doesn't do that right then, then it's all coming down. And rightfully so. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, murderers who don't want to get caught. It's true. Psychopathic murderers don't want to get caught. Why would you want to get caught? So, yeah, he had to add another body to the, to the pile. What's it to him? I mean, he's killing people for not liking to kill a mockingbird or, no, uh, what was it? Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. So what does he care? Another body. Yeah. In fact, the only, the other people in the house were upset when they heard, you know, you killed a cop? You were just killing people for having the wrong opinion. Why is it killing a cop? It seemed like they were just upsetting about getting caught. Not that they had killed anybody because they were worried that they agreed with them or not. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like in Grand Theft Auto, you know, you get like um, a number of stars of how hard the police are going to search for you. And so these guys were, you know, killing like conservative types and quote unquote evil people. And they were just getting like, a couple of stars. Right. But as soon as they killed the cop, it's like, you know, <laughs> all yeah, in Grand Theft Auto, you can run over like 20 prostitutes and then, yeah, you kill one cop and all of a sudden they'll be on you. It's true. Just like real life. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. We wouldn't know. Don't want to know. (laughs) (laughs) So I've heard. So um, two two other things, and then we can wind this one down. Um, I wanted to ask you, because the Hitler question, I think, is one of those almost trolley problem things that you hear about in people trying to have philosophical uh, stumpers, you know? Right. Sure. And I want to say that Perlman handled it really well. Yeah, he did. That's the winning answer. That is the libertarian answer. Because, yeah, if you don't think you can convince somebody with your ideas, then you must not be convinced that you have the right idea. If you are resorting to murder to, quote, create a better world, to, quote, you know, get rid of people you can't convince, well, then you must not be really convinced that your arguments are convincing. So, I yeah, will say, if, if I, I, right, then try and convince Hitler. I will say that there was a period in my transition from left-leaning liberal to full-on Rothbardian ANCAP uh, where I knew something wasn't right in the world, but I didn't know, I couldn't put meat on those bones. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I knew something wasn't right, but I couldn't tell you why. Now I can, I think. You had the base Barbie doll, but you didn't have all the outfits. Right, yeah, and the Corvette. <laughs> or the Dream House. 
So I, w I just want to quibble with you there because until you actually have the meat on those bones, then being able to convince another is, is rather difficult. Well, these people were absolutely convinced that they had the right answers. That's true, yeah. Even though they didn't. I, I don't think they did. But by, but by murdering people that they disagreed with, they were, in a, sense, in a sense, confessing that they actually didn't have the answers or that certain, they think that certain people are not logical or cannot be convinced at all. Like people are just purely, I don't know, beyond any kind of reason. Well, then they actually have the age-old answer that every socialist runs into eventually, and that is the, those that cannot be convinced must be eliminated. That's the way to do it, baby. Booyah. Just make a killing field. You can fit so many bodies in a big hole. Let me tell you. You just shoot them and you push them in. Mm. All right. So let's talk a little bit more on Perlman, and then let's wind this one down. Um, so I, I really enjoyed Perlman's answers to pretty much everything in there. And he, he is exactly right when they talk about his supporters because um, Kathy Newman tried to do this to Jordan Peterson in a famous interview recently where they were trying to say, oh, you're followed by the alt-right and a bunch of young men on the Internet making like terrible comments. And he gave a similar answer to Perlman here. And he says, well, I can't be blamed for what my supporters believe or what they do. People are going to do what they're going to do. All we can really do is be the best individual selves that we can. And that's like Jordan Peterson right there. Yep, sure is. So let me ask you this, Daniel. Who, which character in this movie is speaking in the director's voice, in the writer's voice? Is it Perlman? Is this, is it, do you think that this is the commentary of this movie? Kind of seems to be, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it is hard to say. Um, and I also want to transport my own self back to when I first saw this movie when I was left-leaning, because I did think at the time, I enjoyed this movie a lot at the time. And in fact, we watched it twice, me and some of my college buddies. And uh, you weren't there, but you were one of my college buddies as well. But we go way further back than that. Um, but I felt at the time like it was sort of um, almost viewed as a be careful what you try to use to accomplish what you think is right kind of thing back then. Mm -hmm. Because I more agreed with these left liberal types. Right. Um, whereas now I just see them almost instantly as the monsters. I would hope so. But yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I, if I had watched this back when it first came out, I would have more identified with these people. But seeing that, I, I, I still believe that they were obviously taking it way too far. That this is not the way that you make the world a better place. You convince people with your ideas. And so I would have been some sort of amalgamation between their views. Because they do have good views on things, right? I mean, who cares if you're a homosexual or not? Whatever. I, I don't give a shit. You know, if you want to smoke some dope, who cares? Why, why does it matter? Well, to, to that point, that's 1990s liberal. Like yeah. Now it's they're homosexual or bi or whatever. You know, like there's 75 genders and orientations. If you don't use speech. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you don't use it exactly how they desire it, then it's hate speech. I mean, that's and like, we're going to throw you in jail. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely evolved into a, a much more dangerous situation versus what seemed to be their opinion in this movie of live and let live. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. This is the. I don't know if this is the natural evolution, but they seem to be more kind of care hardy type liberal dummies than um, like you know hardcore Marxists or something like that. They seem to be like, you know, kind of like educated, you know, elite liberal type people. I mean, one guy was getting his master's in painting. Painting. And I'm just going to be master. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, one last point, and then, then let's uh, wind this one down. Um, I did find it ironic that who I imagine would be an anti-gun leftist uses a gun at the end to try to solve his problem. Who's that? Luke, he has the, the sheriff's gun, and he points Oh, it. yeah, yeah, in the kitchen. Right, right. Yeah, he's going to shoot Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some sweet hypocrisy there, man. You know, guns solve problems except when they're in other people's hands. I don't know. Yep. Well, let's, let's wind this one down and start doing our uh, final summary and review. Um, I know that we have toyed with the idea of introducing some categories, and we've done, you know, tears jerked in the past couple of shows, and I do think that we do need to get hard and fast about having such categories and sticking to them because we didn't do that at all this episode. Kind of okay with it just because we had so much to talk about, like just naturally and organically. But I think I want to introduce more fixed type categories going forward, if you're cool with that. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. Well, I, I, I almost uh, don't even have any suspense. What's your final summary and review and your rating, sir? Well, first of all, zero tears, Jerk. I just, I, it, it befuddles me. It's a, it's a weird choice if you're going to tell a story and you're going to say, okay, these are my main characters. You're going to hate every single one of them. 
Now, maybe they were kind of writing it from that lefty liberal, but seeing the, you know, kind of seeing both sides angle of the Ron Perlman character. But, and maybe, so maybe they did sympathize with these characters, or at least the beliefs of the characters, but just how, I mean, they're so hypocritical the whole time. They're such absolute disgusting monsters that I hated them the entire time, and I didn't care anything that would happen to them. I wanted them to, I would kept hoping for a, um, the kitchen scene to happen way earlier and for them to start killing each other. That's what I was hoping for. I wanted it to devolve into, uh, into one was going to go to the cops earlier, so he had to kill her, and then, oh, my God, you killed my girlfriend. I'm going to kill you. And then it gets, eventually wears down until there's just one guy left, or maybe there's like a double kill at the very end or something like that. That's how I kind of wanted it to end. But I did enjoy uh, the Perlman character coming in and kind of like schooling these dunnies at the end. I did appreciate that. Um, that said, man, what a weird choice to have hateable protagonists. <laughs> just, just absolute hateable. You, to make a movie about characters I don't emotionally identify with or even intellectually identify with in any, in any real way, um, man, yeah, just instantly took me out of the movie and I didn't appreciate it at all. So this is like a, I mean, I'm torn because it was a really good fodder movie to talk about. But do I recommend this? No. Other than unless you're like really dissecting it to like talk about it like we were doing, like with future friends or somebody. But um, no, this is a this is like a three. This is just I was I was disappointed and hated the characters the whole time, and then it didn't end satisfactorily for me because I wanted them all to die by their own hand to really kind of show some sort of like a Lord of the Flies type situation, as opposed to Perlman coming in and killing them in some sort of heroic slash not heroic way because. It just kind of ruins the whole thing. I mean, with Perlman killing them, does that justify what they were doing? Because then he goes on to run for president or insinuate that he's going to. So are they the heroes? Are, is the audience supposed to believe that these monsters were really doing the right thing by trying to kill teenagers? What? What, what are you trying to tell me, movie? And scene. Daniel? All right, well, well said, and I, and I do have a question for you, because if Perlman was running for president, and, and I think it's a little bit ambiguous at the end, because he sort of says, well, I already have the power, and that's by being in media, but right. why are you saying that that would have been justifying their behavior? Because Perlman wasn't this evil dude until he murdered well, them, but he was sort of doing it in self-defense and sort of like, oh, I know, I, I, I put the puzzles pieces together, and I know that these are, they are guilty of murdering at least 10 or 11 people. Well, because it makes the doesn't to me it makes the black guy right that he's saying like no this guy's just giving us canned responses this guy is literally Hitler he's he's just saying he's not going to run for president that he has no lust for power so we need to kill him but then, then he kills them and then he goes on to do the thing which he said he wasn't going to do so he was lying during that whole speech where he's basically telling them what he told them yeah I, that's I, how I that's how I read it I didn't read it like that I I read it as he could run for president but he already has all this power behind the microphone and being a, a spokesperson in the media. So why would he settle for you know, a lesser power? What's with that? What's with the final scene then? Where he's standing there with the, the painting of him standing over the dead body, where he's talking about running for president. Yeah, he mentions it, and then the next line is, but I already have more power than that. Hmm. So that's how I read it. So, But he did lie to them. He did, for sure, because he said, oh, don't rate in pour the bad wine. Well, yeah, you did. Yeah, and he also put together the puzzle pieces like super, super quickly. Like he gets a read on him that, that yeah, he, they're trying to poison him. And then he picks up the newspaper randomly and he's like, oh, opens to the right page. And he's like, oh, 10 people missing. Oh, and, and then uh, the lightning strikes body and plots and 10 mounds out there in lightning. He's like connecting the dots like within about 20 seconds. Like, okay. He's like freaking greatest detective. He's better than Batman there. Oh, he's Sherlock Holmes plus Batman rolled into one. Yeah. <laughs> You got the back right. computer, basically printing it out. <laughs> yes, they did it. Yeah, Alfred gets on the horn. Yeah, they're guilty. <laughs> all right, well, for all those uh, things, yeah, you, you've actually convinced me in many respects that this movie doesn't hold up as much as I had thought. Now, there is a bit of a cult classicness to this. Um, we mentioned that we were going to do this movie to a friend of ours, Mike C., and he was all excited about it. He wanted to hear our take on it and actually perhaps come on and talk about it on a Boys Night Out episode where we have just more organic conversations with guests. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that there's so much kind of lacking in the movie-making craft that I'm, I'm a little bit viewing it in a lesser light. Uh, you mentioned that you gave it a 3 uh, out of 10. Um, Ebert gave it a 3 out of 4. So 
he gave it a much better rating and his review, which I shared with you, and maybe we can talk about it for just a moment. It almost appears as if Ebert had some libertarian leanings because he opens Definitely. with, you know, it's, it's satire, um, but these liberal heroes are arguing about whether they've killed 10 or 11 right wingers and, you know, when will they realize they're the, the monsters, that kind of a thing. So I'll, I'll post that as a link because I think it's an interesting read. I never really got that vibe from him before that he might have a bit of a libertarian streak, and perhaps it's just this movie that brings it out. Um, but uh, my overall rating, I'm going to go with a six on this thing, just because I, I really enjoyed it in my younger days, and I didn't like it as much this time, and then after talking to you, I like it even less. But I still think it's an yeah. interesting interesting movie and, and worthy of discussion, right? Um, and, and it's also almost like a, a very um, fortune-telling, like it's Felmina Miss Cleo kind of thing. You know, because like, these are the people that we're seeing now uh, 20 years later, um, but just taking it to extremes. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, yeah, this is basically predicted the future. Um, and then you know, just dial it up like one notch. Um, but you're right. I think this movie, if I were going to, if you were going to ask me, you know, is this a good discussion movie? Like, what, how would you rate it as a discussion movie? I'd be like, this is like a nine. Because I, I think this really provokes a lot of interesting discussion. I just, but, uh, you know, if you're going to like write a college paper or, you know, any kind of like study on a movie, this is a good choice to do because there is a lot to it. But from a casual viewer's perspective, in the, you know, standard storytelling method where you want to establish an emotional connection to the audience so that you care about what happens. None of that happened. None of that happened for me. So it falls down on that end. Yeah, I think they're more, more interested in getting the concept out versus a really cohesive story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for us uh, for the last nighters. So this can uh, be found at lastnighters.com slash 13, show notes and more, and we'll also have a link to the Roger Ebert review of this. And so I just want to say uh, good night from last night. And we'll continue the transmission just for a few more minutes on the Actual Anarchy podcast, and you can find the show notes for this from the Actual Anarchy version, which you guys are all on the inside, at uh, actualanarchy.com slash 70, where we're talking about The Last Supper. And, and this is because it's Easter weekend. This is coming out on Easter Sunday, April 1st. April Fool's Day, um, I hear that people are doing jokes related to Easter candy, like they're going to put um, grapes inside of Cadbury eggs and, and other mean things uh, to like the kids' Christmas or Easter candy. Um, your thoughts on that stuff? I'm all for it. <laughs> it's a good lesson for the kids. You don't get, like, if you're getting something for free, it's usually not very good. Just like this podcast. It's, it's free for you. <laughs> you get what you pay for, kids. Hey, you want something better? Go out and pay for it. And speaking of paying for it, if you do want more of us and we do save the best stuff for the paywall, uh, you can support us at Patreon and get the pre-show and Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which we might get a little bit of time to do tonight, though not a whole lot because I have my uh, Rothbard Roundtable Nerd Group in about 15 minutes. But uh, any last comments regarding the show, the movie, uh, direction on anything you launch in your site or your uh, merchandise? Anything you want to throw out there, and then we'll say goodnight to everyone. Oh, nothing. Um, I, lately, the past couple of weeks, I've been really working hard on writing, so I don't have anything to really discuss in terms of the other projects that I've been doing, but I'm making a lot of really good progress on writing. Me and my writing partner have been kicking some serious ass lately, and uh, my, my, um, my work is getting a lot of really strong reviews from her, so I'm excited. All right, sounds awesome. That. We yeah, toss them. Sounds awesome. Uh, and I just wanted to mention that we are toying with the idea of having some shorter content for perhaps YouTube a couple of times a week, talking about movies that are releasing that week. So essentially we'll read the plot and see the, the trailers and give our little one or two minute spiel on it and then promote the show that we're going to be doing that week uh, for Sunday. So the you know hour or so long show, we'll be talking about that at the end of these two or three minute blurbs. But that way we'll get a little bit more into the current um, life cycle of films as they release instead of just always hearkening back to uh, yesteryear, my uh, high school weight, if you will. And maybe have a little bit more content out there. And I believe that will be under the Last Nighters um, YouTube page. So look for that in coming weeks. We're still trying to navigate exactly how we're going to do it. But I think it's a, it's a good idea, and I think, Robert, you're on board, right? I'm totally down to do it. I don't know how good it's going to be, but that's, you know, it'll be of middling quality like everything else we do. <laughs> 
All right, good enough for me. Well, hey, everyone, thank you so much. We do appreciate you being our um, audience and listening to us and sharing us around. Also, we've been getting some feedback on the show, and uh, believe it or not, um, we do read it and we do take it to heart, uh, though we don't yet implement it, a lot of it, <laughs> but we're working towards it. So keep, keep up with the feedback. Um, like us on the Facebook. You can message us there, or you can send us emails at daniel at readrothbard.com or robert at readrothbard.com. And we're more than happy to take suggestions, improvements, criticisms, whatever you got. Uh, we're, we're DTF. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, you can find the show notes for this at actualanarchy.com slash 70. I'll say goodnight, pass the mic, and, uh, and we'll get out of here. Yeah, you can find all that stuff there for as long as the Internet exists. But it's been a, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, I enjoyed this one. Um, did we want to mention what the next episode's going to be? Are we going to start doing that? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. I think people like that. Um, what are we going to do? Um, are we going to do the raid, or are we going to do something else? We want to go foreign. Uh, do you have access to Hero, Jet Li? Yes. Let's do that. All right. We're doing Hero with Jet Li. All right. And we out. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do, 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 do